With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We brought you damn good beer. Now we're delivering to you damn good beef. And it's so damn good that you can now get Wagyu beef at the DNVR bar. That's right. We couldn't resist putting this damn good beef in the bar. You all can now come down and build your own delicious Hassle Cattle Wagyu beef burger. Add all the toppings you want, and you can enjoy the watch parties with the finest beef out there. Um, I actually had a chance to try Wagyu, actually, yeah, Wagyu beef for the first time, and it was Hassle Cattle Wagyu beef on Sunday. Uh, I wound up over at the Spanos. First time ever being at the Spanos and letting Brandon cook, and it... uh, it lives up to all of the hype. He put together these incredible fajitas. I think it was a, a strip steak that he cut up, a hassle Wagyu strip steak, and it was unbelievable. Like, all the hype that hassle gets, most of it coming from me doing these ads on these podcasts, it is for real. Um, I'm really excited to get down to the DMVR bar, check out the hassle cattle hamburger there because it won Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Uh, they also have the... New York Strip I talked about. They've got beef bacon, the Wagyu Frank without any fillers, um, Wagyu smoked sausage. They have a couple of jerky flavors. So much good stuff from Hassle Cattle Company. And you should check it out for yourself. Um, it's a very high prime product. No antibiotics, no hormones. So head to HassleCattleCompany.com. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L CattleCompany.com. Use the promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DMVR10 for 10% off any orders over $200, and you receive free shipping. Check them out. We promise you will not be disappointed. Boom, boom, boom. Damn good beef. Shout out Hassle Cattle. This is the DNVR NFL Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. I'm here with Henry Chisholm, Andre Simone, and Jake Schwanitz. We're coming off of a crazy weekend, the NFL Draft. Uh, Hank was live for a lot of it. Uh, Two rounds. 12 hours. Three rounds. 12 hours in total. (laughs) Shout out to everybody that tuned in and, you know, participated in our content in some way, whether that was leaving comments, questions, tweeting about it. We got a lot of really encouraging words from people saying that they loved what we were doing. That's what it's all about. I'm, I, I'm still going on fumes, to be honest. I don't think I've quite recovered. Um, how are you guys feeling? I mean, are, how are you guys just, you feeling good about this draft class? Just what your, your gut feeling? You, I know Henry's talked about it a bunch, but Jake, you know, where are you at? Well, um, after the initial shock and disappointment wore off on Thursday night, um, you know, I recollected, uh, actually took a chance to, you know, just look at the players, examine the fits. And I don't think I could be happier for the Broncos. Um, you got an immediate starter. You got a running back that's going to contribute not only now, but in the future. Uh, you got pieces along the offensive line. The secondary looks to be no longer 
the biggest weakness on this team outside of quarterback. Um, the, even the lottery shots they took in the late rounds, loved them. Uh, could not be happier for the Broncos. You know, what's funny is I, I was the guy on Thursday night kind of trying to talk everybody off the ledge. And, and granted, I knew that nobody wanted that perspective, but I just felt like it had to be there. If we were all acting like the sky is falling, then it's, it's not going to be very entertaining TV. Um, I've, as much as I like this draft class, and again, I, I couldn't be happier in terms of the players they added. I love Javante Williams. He was one of my dream picks. I love Jamar Johnson. He's one of my favorite safeties. Quinn Miners, like this was a really intriguing class. But the more I think about it, the more it irks me they passed on Justin Fields. And, and I'll be honest, like I love, I love Sertan. I love him. I think he was the best defensive player in this class. But I think you had a chance to get at worst, the third best QB, if not the second best QB. And, and again, I've come around to fields might actually be better than Zach Wilson. Um, I don't know. I, I have a feeling this is going to be a Deshaun Watson type situation and it's going to make Broncos fans very toxic for the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, obviously disappointing to be sitting there at nine. We talked about it for so long, you know, will the Broncos have to trade up. Uh, are they just going to have to settle for Mac Jones? And Justin Fields is just sitting there, just begging to be taken with probably the biggest hole on the roster for the Broncos. And they just skip. Uh, it was just, it was a shock. It was a gut punch, frankly. And, uh, but like you said, it was pretty easy to recover. You know, I, like I said, I had to take like five minutes after the pick initially because I was just heartbroken. But then I examined look, Broncos just got Pat Sertan a guy that we all really like probably, I think we all agreed best corner in the class, someone that's going to be able to, you know, he could come in and play situationally, play a matchup role if he wants to, or if he needs to year one, or he could just be a starting outside corner and just start to lock down the side of the field. Um, so a lot of positives to take from it, but the just skipping on fields, man. I mean, I know that Peyton said that certain was high on the board and that, they really liked him, but I just have to ask how much lower was fields on the board than certain that didn't warrant picking fields when it's a quarterback, man, it's a quarterback. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. That whole night was really crazy. I mean, it starts with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Aaron Rodgers yet. Yeah. Jeez. We got past the point where Aaron Rodgers was a potential thing and to the point where Aaron Rodgers was a thing that was coming within seconds. Like just refreshing Twitter because we knew it was about to, to go down. And so to go from that to Justin Fields, that kind of turns Justin Fields even into a consolation prize. And then the turn down the consolation prize after all that, it, it was a roller coaster. And, you know, to me, I've, I've, I'm probably the highest on Drew Locke of the four of us. And that's been pretty obvious all the way through. But even before the draft, you know, when I thought just in a vacuum, the best path forward for the Broncos give Drew Locke that one more year, figure out if he has it or not. Don't get rid of him too soon and then feel dumb about it. Then do you deal with it next year. You deal with it next year. But even like leading up to the draft, I said, if Justin Fields is there at nine, I don't know how you pass on that because he probably is the best player too. They didn't have to give up anything, dude. Exactly. And that's the tough part. And that's where if if you look at this and and you can't do this because it's not what happened, but if you said, what if all five quarterbacks were gone and the Broncos wound up with Patrick Sertan and the rest of this draft? I mean, that, that's an A, right? Like, it was a great class. 
But now we have to think through all of this. And it's just this terrible situation where, you know, is Justin Fields going to be great and make George Payton's first pick look dumb? Luckily, I think going to the Bears, he's he's screwed, to be honest. Like, he, this is not going to look bad for Payton, I don't think. Not yeah, a place where quarterbacks have historically thrived, to say the least. Exactly. That's the one thing I worry about is the coaching staff there. Matt Nagy, I completely failed yeah. developing yeah. Trubisky. I know he wasn't the most talented player, even from that draft class. You look at Mahomes and Watson, of course, but still. I he never have... schemed to his strengths, though. Like, it was so weird. They kept trying to fit this square in a triangle, and it was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you look at Justin Fields as a player, and you you have to guess. Like, this guy would be so easy to scheme around and just build an offense for, right? So I do have some hope in that regard. Also, just the overall draft class from the Bears I thought was fairly solid. So I think Ryan Pace really actually might have just saved his job uh, last weekend so it's interesting to look at it from that perspective um, but like you said Justin I can't help but think this might be just a Deshaun Watson situation uh, I mean they just let him slip through their hands and that's unfortunate because it's it, it sucks that the reaction to landing such a talented player potentially a, a you know a game-changing type player down the line is met with such like disdain or at the you know it's just it's a bummer. I think it, I think people will come around, especially when they see him out on the field and they're like, all right, yeah. this guy's a stud. It's not, if they would have passed on fields and then, you know, like crazy reached on somebody, you know, pulled a, pulled a Mike Mayock or something like that, that, that would be unforgivable in my opinion. At least they landed a guy who, if you took him in the top 10, basically any year, you would be doing backflips if it wasn't for the context of we wanted a quarterback. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, they took a really safe player. So even when we're looking at this deal, three, four, five years, a year down the line, even it's, it's not going to look like a bad pick. I don't think, which is no. a good way. I don't want to say he covered his ass, but that's kind of what Peyton did with this pick. Right. I mean, a little bit, you can, you can love or hate the selection, but the fact of the matter is Patrick Sertan is going to be a good player for quite a long, long time. And the Broncos will always be able to say, well, yeah, we still just got Patrick Sertan, though. Yeah. What do you guys think of Sertan? Yeah, I mean, we all really like him, but we were pretty much in consensus on the show that he is the best defensive player in the draft. Are you guys willing to go that far? I am. Yeah. I mean, I think the only real argument would be either Parsons or Horn at this point. I mean, I was a big JOK fan. I think we were all big JOK fans. Uh, that slide was shocking in and of itself. But... Did you guys see what happened there? Yeah, there yeah. Was like, like a, 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 a heart thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary, man. I hope he's okay. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, you think back to uh, Maurice Hurst a couple years ago coming out of Michigan. He kind of had the same issue. Mm-hmm. Um, he dropped way, way further than JOK did. Uh, but you know, he's still playing. Uh, I know. I think the Raiders just cut him, but Maurice Hurst is still in the league. No issues so far. Uh, I hope the same for JOK. Yeah. Uh, as far as Sertan goes, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit on that cornerback po- podcast episode where we kind of went through our class. He did give up a few more big plays his, his senior year than he did. But, I mean, that's bound to happen at some point. One, because he's always playing man against the team's best receiver. And two, he just he was never off the field like that. He played so many reps like it's just bound to happen. Eventually, if you play enough, you're going to get burned a couple times as a DB. The thing that I like 
I think he's going to be a little bit more physical at the next level. He's going to use his length, his strength to really jam people at the line of scrimmage. He's a really sure tackler. I mean, I, I love a corner that can tackle. Just growing up watching Champ Bailey, that, that was something that I always appreciated about him. Yeah, he was locked down. Champ never missed a tackle, man. Not I think one. Sertan's going to be that type of player. Yeah, That's the hope, right? I mean, you know, just going back to it, though, I mean, we, you look at the uh, the Fuller signing, the Darby signing. I mean, all these signs early in the offseason, to me at least, all pointed to, no, we're not going to take cornerback <laughs> at nine. Because going back to, what, November, the Broncos at nine overall were, mark, were mocked a cornerback. And, you know, we kind of made fun of it a bit on this pod. We even tried a few times in our mock drafts to actively not pick a corner. And they still did it, which was mm-hmm. shocking in and of itself. But, again, you're getting a great player, Pat Sertan. Um, checks nearly all the boxes. Uh, just going back and watching his tape, man, I think George Payton hit it on the head. He's boring to watch because teams just don't throw at him. And he's just consistently always glued to whoever he's guarding. So, Maybe disappointing right now, but we got a good player at Denver. Yeah, and I, I quickly got over it, honestly. By, by the next day, I was, was like, you know what, Justin Fields, that would have been fun. It would have been an adventure, one that may have brought a whole bunch of fun to Denver, also could have turned into three years of not fun at all. You know, you never really know about those sorts of things. <laughs> and that's, that's what's nice about Pat Sertan he will be a good football player. I, I, I mean, people just saying things. I think Cliss was saying in his thing yesterday, it's like, yeah, he's going to go to three Pro Bowls the next five years. And people just say things like that because it's true, because he's a lockdown corner. He, he looks the part. He, he has all the measurables. He's the most polished. He has the bloodlines. He's coming out of Bama where everybody is, you know, they're, they're coached very, very well. Like, what more could you have wanted from him? And the answer is like, well, there are two plays. He made some mistakes last year. Okay, cool. Let's let's work on those. And thirty-eight consecutive starts, like yeah, over yeah. the course of his of his collegiate career, that dude covered some pretty damn good wide receivers. Um, the narrative that the Broncos don't draft Bama players is now dead as well. Judy mm-hmm. and Sertan in back-to-back years. Dre is here. Uh, I want to ask all of you guys, and, and again, I know Dre and, and Hank went over a lot of this on on Friday and Saturday, but who is your favorite pick? of this Broncos draft class and why I'll start Javante Williams, man. I was so (laughs) hype about this pick. I loved watching him all year at North Carolina. I don't care if you think it was a reach. I don't care if you think running backs don't matter. Javante Williams is going to come in. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have breakaway speed, but I mean, as a pure runner, someone that has vision and just, the ability to break tackles and just turn something into nothing. That's really what you got him for. Um, I know Andre and Henry aren't really big on him in the passing game. I thought he was pretty impactful this year in the passing game. And I think he's going to be able to do that this year for the Broncos. Hands show promise, hands show promise. And if those hands can tick up, then this might've been the best running back in the class, you know, absolutely. Um, That's much more to me the question mark um, more so than the breakaway speed, you know, and running a four five, six, you know, who also ran a four five, six Alvin Kamara. So sometimes we get a little caught up in the breakaway speed and those mid four fives do uh, do just enough for you. But yeah, that's the, because really 
only two knocks are one, can he be a very competent receiver? We, the, the hands have flashed, but just doing it more consistently and wasn't utilized the way Najee was. And then two is he, he runs so violently. Can he, you know, pick and choose and run out of bounds from time to time? That this is a, a thing I remember talking to Austin Eckler coming out of Western State was like, dude, I, I have very few knocks, but I do think you need to conserve your body from time to time. And he laughed and said, Yeah, that's what coaches tell me all the time, too. Um, so I think like that's if those are your two knocks, we're good. You know, we're we're looking pretty good. So Javante runs like he's angry at the grass. If you guys watch Ted Lasso, it makes that reference. Did you see, and- you were probably had your hands full, but Mace made that exact analogy on the show about Javante. Exactly. Williams. Yeah. And that and that's what he does, man. He runs like he's angry. I love that type of running back again. I, I have some concerns about his longevity, but when you pull up some of these clips and he's just not like defensive backs, trucking linebackers, like that, that's, that stands out to me. I'm, I'm intrigued, at least. I think it's worth the risk. You didn't have to give up that much to trade up, and especially everything they were able to acquire at the back end with some other moves. I think it really checks out. Hank, who's your favorite pick of this class? It's a good question. Honestly, Thank I you. really like all of them. <laughs> you, you could take your pick of any of them. And, I mean, the first one with Fields on the board, you know, that's a little bit sketchy. But still, to get Sertan at nine, I like that. Um because Jake took Javante, who I really, I really like at this, at this point, um, I'm going to go, this might be cheating, but those back-to-back picks with the safeties, I just mm-hmm. love that. You need a safety next year, so what do you do? You go get Juwan Johnson, one of the best safeties in the class, maybe some testing things you don't love, but you look at the production, there's a lot to like there. Who else you get? Caden Stern, Stearns, the guy who can't really tackle, can make some mistakes, that kind of stuff but he's blazing fast, has a whole bunch of tools, and maybe you can coach him up. And if you get both these guys to turn out to be good NFL safeties, well, then you have your three-headed monster with Justin Simmons for the next uh, three, four years. And if, if you get one of them, then you're, you're maybe looking for somebody to patch that, that third safety spot. Maybe you're playing more corner there. You have the options at this point. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just think that the odds of one of those two, four safeties or two, one of those two fourth round safeties working out is so good. And I, 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 I'm going to be really excited to watch them, especially because they got, uh, Juwan Johnson after Caden Stearns. I was a little bit disappointed Jamar initially Jamar Johnson. Sorry. But yeah, Jamar Johnson after Caden Stearns, um, because I was a little bit disappointed because he is all tools and not so much production. But that, to me, is just like such a nice balance. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens there. If they only added Stearns, and again, I texted you guys in the group chat when they took him. It was really the only pick where I was like, oh, I don't like that one. And it's because he can't mm-hmm. tackle. Like, he, he mm-hmm. can't tackle. And I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm not a Texas guy. He's an athletic freak. I mean, the dude's running all over the field. Could potentially be a special teams gamer if he figures it out, but... I'm worried that he's just going to run really fast right by him. It's like, well, that was neat. You know, you got down there real quick, but what happened then? Um, But adding Jamar Johnson, man, that's my favorite pick of this class. Just kind of going off what Hank said. He was one of my favorite safeties, probably third only behind like Maring and and Richie Grant. And other than that, you know, I, I thought he had really great potential game breaker, you know, has, has shown the ability to, to make picks sure tackler, I just thought it was great value. And again, adding him and Stearns, I think what Hank really said is as much as I dislike Stearns, 
I get why people are intrigued by him because you see the way that this mm-hmm. dude moves. It's like, man, if we could just coach him up a little bit, this dude could be something. You add both of them, you get a lot of value there. I'm, I'm really solid. I think it's a really solid addition. And Sertan, man, like you got to have a good secondary in the modern NFL and you got to mm-hmm. invest in it. And now, yeah. now there are no, not going to be any bad players in that secondary, which has not been true. You know, it, it, it's been a we've minute. been seeing like those third and fourth safeties, been seeing those third, fourth, fifth corners the last couple of years. Let's a little turnover. The bottom part of that secondary is just fine with me. Yeah, good job turning a one of the weakest positions on the team into a strength now, frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. really, they are stacked in the back end and in this mm-hmm. division. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's huge. So and coming back. Right. With Kareem coming back, you kind of bought yourself an extra year. But yeah, I mean, and that was one of the themes of this draft was all teams loading up on corners. I think, you know, kind of across the board, we saw wide receivers getting undervalued. No surprise there with the depth that we've seen in these classes the last two years and cornerbacks getting overvalued, um, overdrafted in a lot of ways. Um, and it's because there is such a scarcity at the position. You need at least three. And I love that Hank touched on the two safeties. That was kind of a theme of this entire draft and not just for the Broncos, for a lot of teams is this new big nickel uh, with three safeties. It's something the chiefs have had a ton of success. Obviously when you're nursing leads in a lot of games, as the chiefs are, uh, you are going to play um, a lot of nickel and that's because you're you're nursing a lead and the teams you are facing are forced to pass. Uh, but it's nice that the Broncos will now have some personnel options to go with the big nickel themselves. And how would you counter a big nickel? On the other hand, is you get a physical back who can truck safeties at the second level. Um, and that's where the Javante pick is extra intriguing for for modern football, you know, I think those are the, the two counters we're seeing to the big nickel and just more nickel defense becoming base defense is this 12 personnel masquerading as 11 personnel, which is all these receiving tight ends. We see it at the Broncos with Noah Fant and Albert O. And uh, it's, yeah, emphasis on the running game with backs who can justify being on the field for all three downs and be threats both as runners and as pass catchers. And we get to my favorite pick. It could have easily been Jamar Johnson. It could have been Javante Williams. But based on my board and the value the Broncos were able to get, I would say Baron Browning, who came in with a solid second round grade for me, um, where they got him, an extremely nice pick. I wasn't as high as some on draft Twitter who were saying he was better than Micah Parsons, but I certainly understand the argument. Um, Just based on raw traits and even instincts, yes, um the instincts tick up more than parsons for example and the raw traits are in that kind of elite tier to justify at least being in that conversation now he didn't always see the field he wasn't always super impactful um and we'll see how he fits in the broncos he could kind of fit two roles i mean we've heard they were interested in jalen phillips um edge was a position where i thought there was some value going into the third fourth and fifth rounds and they never did pick up that developmental edge and a spot where this draft class was fairly deep you wonder if browning could fit that role or as we all hope and imagine if he's finally that guy for fanjo's 
uh, inside linebacker. And can he be paired with AJ Johnson? That would make for a very interesting pairing. But again, solid second round grade for me, getting them where they did. That really helped the class on my evaluation based on my board. So that's my favorite pick. Justin, who was yours? Uh, Jamar Johnson, I would say, oh, or Javante. I mean, yeah. either of those. I think Quinn Miners, you know, was a, a really solid pick as well. Like, obviously, there are some questions about the level of competition, but when you look at what he did at the Senior Bowl, I mean, the, this dude's in his backyard lifting trees and shit. Like, <laughs> I just, how can you not love that kind of pick? Him and Dalton Reisner, like, that's the kind of lineman I want. Just nasty dudes, country tough type dudes. I'm into it. Yeah, hearing his interviews after the draft, and he's got a great laugh too, man. I already love the guy. I'm just excited to see him grow in Denver. Uh, one more, I mean, not to name the whole draft class, but sure, the but dart throw in the six with Seth Williams, mm -hmm. that's a hell of a dart throw, man. Yeah. Uh, wide receiver's kind of a sneaky need. Uh, Cortland Sutton, you know, facing a contract year. Tim Patrick, same. With this guy, I mean, you have the length. He has the speed. And, you know, after watching Darius Slayton ball out, after coming out of Auburn and being a late round pick, I'm all for taking a guy like Seth Williams and just kind of hoping that he turns into something special. And he can play special teams. You know, yep. he, I feel like he has such a high floor, which is rare with those guys, the sixth, seventh round picks. But his floor is he can be out there contributing on special teams with the potential because of the tools he has to become an impactful special teams player. And that's something the Broncos haven't had in a while. You know, a, a guy like a David Bruton, who's basically just here to play special teams. Um, and he is not that yet, but he does have the tools to make that happen. And I think that's true of a couple of the other late round picks too. Yeah. And as I was telling um, Ryan and Hank off air on day three was, you know, when I started this in 2013 and Tevon Austin was the first wide receiver. And I think the only first round wide receiver taken in that class guy like Seth Williams in those weaker wide receiver classes, he was a top 50 pick. Um, at worst, a third rounder, but a guy with that kind of production size and speed, he reminds you a little bit of Cortland Sutton in that his, he, he's an, a physical freak, a contested ball marvel. Um, his knock is he doesn't create a ton of separation, but then from the testing, vertical jump and 40 would indicate there's a little more burst off the line and long speed then meets the eye. If you can hone that a little with some sharper route running, you've got something, you know? So uh, based on my board, actually maybe Seth Williams and being able to get Warren Jackson as an undrafted free agent are actually the better value pickups of the entire draft. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Jake. I'm excited about Warren about Jackson QB, too. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I feel like Warren's a Warren gonna Jackson make the team. is a good idea. I don't know yeah, if it's going to be this fall. You know, he might be a practice squad guy to start mm -hmm. his career, just given mm -hmm. the depth that they have. But, you know, we just talked about the uncertainty with Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick both moving forward. Those are your big body guys. Seth Williams, you know, he's a physical dude, but he's 6'2". Warren is every bit of 6'5 and a half, closer to 6'6", if we're being real. He's huge. I mean, when I, when I stand next to this dude, I'm 6'1", and he makes me feel tiny. Yeah, he's yeah. Just it's crazy. And, and he just doesn't belong when you watch him play those games like and and I was talking to Ryan about this like I don't know if that's like he doesn't belong in the Mountain West or he doesn't belong in college football or what but you watch him he doesn't go on the ground like like he doesn't get 
tacked to the ground all that up and like guys bounce off him on the sideline and he steps out like like he is just so big with good hands and he, and he moves well and he and he shows some things like you know if he's running a deep post route he's going to be running down the field with his shoulders square downfield he might even give a little hint that he's going outside get the defender to spin around a little and cut back inside he's he is crafty and, and the feet do need to be cleaned up, but you can tell that there's some senses that are going on in there too. And the more I watch of him, the more, more excited I got. I think, I think all these receivers I and mean, with Tyree Cleveland coming in last year too, it's the Broncos are set up. Well, the Broncos are set up well. Warren Jackson in the two games he played against sec teams, Arkansas and Alabama, he was injured for the Arkansas game in Fort Collins, but in the two games he played against SEC teams, both on the road in his career, he scored three touchdowns, all against NFL DBs. Like, yeah. he's just a dude that's produced his entire career, despite crazy circumstances. I mean, had to play with three different quarterbacks in two years. He lost his guy, you know, right at the beginning of the 2019 season. Colin Hill goes down with the ACL injury. The very next game, with Patrick O'Brien, the backup quarterback, he ends up getting, like, 21 targets in the game absolutely balls out against Toledo that's some fun uh, highlights to watch other than a very frustrating CSU game because they literally just could not stop Toledo it was like watching a Madden game oh my god anyways <laughs> Warren's a stud I really like him and honestly I think the Broncos were banking on the fact that they were going to be able to sign him after the draft I do think they were really high on him and it, and it reminds me a little bit of that Philip Lindsay situation where they're mm -hmm. sitting there and they're thinking we love this dude there's a lot of talent at wide receiver. The trend is, you know, these guys aren't really going. I think if we sit tight, we'll have the best odds of signing in post-draft. And, and I'm, I'm hoping it works out. Denver's done a great job of scouting their own backyard over the last few years and think they might also have found team that, the... Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was just saying also oh, a team good. that historically really values undrafted free agents. Like when yeah. we think about all of the guys that have gone on to make an impact over their career. I mean, my favorite wide receiver growing up, Rod Smith, the perfect example. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Love the the talent that they added. Um, do you guys have any more thoughts just on this, this Broncos draft class before we move on? Um, yeah, I Marquis Spencer is the one guy that wasn't on my radar at all, but I've been very intrigued rewatching him. He's a 300 pound defensive lineman that does not look like he's 300 pounds good, which is good and bad. Um, he's a 300 pounder that's a hundred percent a finesse player and has had some decent production getting in opposing backfields in the SEC, which is promising. Um, he had 12 bench reps and the tape to prove it. He just is not a physical player. He's not a good run defender. Um, and he just gets pushed around, doesn't use his hands at all. But this is what three years in a row that they get a power five defensive lineman with some real intrigue as an interior penetrator um, after McTelvin Ajim and Draymond Jones and in special packages as a rotational piece, I'm pretty intrigued by the Mississippi State kid they were able to get at the very end of the seventh round. Love it. All right, I think it's a good time to hear from our presenting sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Hank, you want to hit us up with that? The hits literally keep on coming. From nice. one boxing event to the next, they grow in excitement and anticipation. And this week is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, 
America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That means if you bet $1 and the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code DMVR when you sign up, and for a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, are you interested in money? Because if you're somebody Duh. who likes money, then definitely uh, listen in to what I'm about to say. Uh, when it comes to car and home insurance, don't we deserve better? I know I do. Lots of members and staff at DMVR put their policy to the test and turn to Gabby, stands for Get a Better Insurance. And when they did, Gabby saved them hundreds of dollars. Literally, Drew Creaseman, AJ Hayfley, Lindsey Sauer all saved hundreds on their yearly rates. Eric Weedham, who you may know better as D-Line, saved over... $1,300 on his yearly rate. Uh, we're not really sure who was stealing from him before, but he can now go on a fun vacation with all the money that's in his bank account. Uh, Gabby literally stands for get a better insurance. So how does Gabby work? Basically, you get on their website, you go to Gabby.com, that's G-A-B-I.com slash D-N-V-R, and they'll ask you a couple questions. It doesn't take long, uh, and then you upload your insurance policy. And when you do that, it'll send that insurance policy out to 40 of the top insurance providers, like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers, and they'll all give you quotes. So you wind up getting the exact same insurance, word for word, except you will be paying less because somebody just offered you less money for the exact same thing. Um, it, it really is an awesome tool. On average, Gabby customers save $961 per year. They never sell your info. You don't get any spam, robocalls, people trying to sell you insurance. Um, so put your policy to the test like we did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check out. There's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash DNVR. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash DNVR. Awesome. Get a better insurance. Save some money. Um we still got a ton to talk about. I mean, we haven't even dove into any of the other teams um, as far as like grades, what we like about this class, who missed, who might have the most starters, all of that stuff. I'm just going to add real quick. This process is obviously really subjective. It's also ever changing. I mean, these are, you know, our initial reactions. Mm -hmm. Don't be one of those dudes. That's like, how are you supposed to know how it's going to pan out? It just happened. Obviously we get that. We talk about the draft year round. We live and breathe this stuff. So I think we're qualified to kind of break down how some of these teams did. It does crack me up though, just to see how drastic the difference in opinion can be like yeah. on TDSP last week, for instance, we all gave some of our, you know, favorite first round or first couple round picks. And I threw out, like, I loved what the Miami dolphins did because I loved that they added Jalen Waddle and Jalen Phillips. 
AJ Halfley, he was like, I think the Dolphins had the worst class, you know, it's, so it's just, it's all really subjective. Sure. Um, but let's kind of dive into it. Where, where do you guys want to start? Mm, I, I, we might as well get it out the way with the quarterbacks, right? Um, in a sense, now looking at it in retrospect, all the quarterbacks landed in really good spots schematically from what you are learning about the plans that all these teams have in place. You know, Zach Wilson is going in there with uh, LaFleur's brother, and they're going to run something very similar to the BYU offense, which is fun. To me, the BYU offense was very reminiscent of the Lincoln-Riley offense, which is what everyone should be trying to run. Um, there's been some great stuff about the connections between Nagy and Ryan Day and how much that Bears offense um, is going to be similar to that Ohio State offense. And I think now they can really run a lot more of that stuff because they boosted that offensive line, especially on a run blocking sense. So I think that's huge. Um, and Trey Lance, like when the trade first happened and for football reasons before the intel and rumors and all that came in, was the most logical. I mean, he's one of the few quarterbacks you'll ever study coming from college who are running stuff under center and boots under center and what have you. That's the Shanahan offense to a T. Um, so frankly, if anything, Mac Jones might be the lead, the most awkward fit. And uh, that's not an awkward fit at all. That's uh, you know, he's, he's going to fit in just fine. They're going to um, apply a lot of those concepts. And there's a lot of questions kind of in relation to that. One is, the Saints were talked about as a team that wanted to move up. Varying reports, it was for a corner or it was for Mac Jones. Um, the Vikings were trying to move up for fields and got sniped by the Bears. That's got a sting for Vikes fans. And you really wonder uh, the whole time it was like, well, Carolina, Denver, they'd take a quarterback if the right one is there. Well, was Trey Lance the right one? Is that the guy that everyone was enamored and all in all, as always in the draft, raw tools are king and arm strength for quarterbacks is king. The, fe- so or the, the Trey Lance fit is probably my favorite quarterback fit in the draft. Yeah. Just you think about, we talked about it at length, but just going back again, you look at Kyle Shanahan's resume, you look at that 2012 Washington football team with RG3 and you look at how he managed the statues in the pocket over the last two, three years. And now he's going to be able to really kind of marry the two together. And I think this offense has a chance to be one of the most versatile offenses we've seen in the NFL. Uh, you talk about Debo Samuel, Ayuk. if Jalen Hurd comes back healthy. I mean, this is a team that could go Kittle. Leg- Kittle, of course, uh, they drafted Trey Sermon, one of my favorite picks in the draft, Elijah Mitchell in the late rounds too. This is a team, I mean, it's all on the table for them. It's double zero personnel, 11 personnel, 22 personnel. It's it's all there for them. They could do whatever they want. Yeah, and think how easy that's going to make it on a young quarterback, you know, having all those distinct personnel sets, all that variety, and, uh, you know, all the deception that that then builds in for a defense. It's a just ideal spot for Trey Lance and really interesting that if you believe um, Shanahan kind of acquiesced to what everyone else was telling them. The other thing is to me, the behind the scenes quarterbacks on the board interviews 
I've heard more about that than I think I ever have before. Um, and it just goes to show you how much that stuff mattered when you can't get these guys in the building and get more hands on. It was more the the verbiage and the on the board and the the conversations that were had throughout the entire draft process that really made a massive difference for a lot of these quarterback prospects. Yeah, uh, I I think that for me, Mac Jones is my favorite fit. That's a it's it's almost it's almost stupid like how how that just meshes together so perfectly because I mean you can't say he's Tom Brady but what you can say is his limitations are similar in a lot of ways to what Tom Brady's limitations were and the Patriots you would have to say were able to maximize what Tom Brady was now the question is what is Mac Jones what is the maximum you can push him to but I just think that's a place where I don't even care what quarterback it is. Like if, if I'm going to pick an offense that I want a young quarterback to go to and succeed, I'm sending them to Josh McDaniels and them as much as like, as a Broncos fan, I do not, do not like to see Patriots happy. Um, I'll start there. Um, you know, fields with the bears. There's, there's parts you like, like Dre brought up. There's also the fact that you just haven't seen it happen before. Um, the offensive line should be better, but it was bad before the running game you know, depends on the offensive line could get better with Allen Robert Robinson and Mooney and uh, the Miller guy, like you're, you're solid out there. We'll, we'll just see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, Let me ask Lance, you something, Hank. Fields. Yeah. Yeah. Your favorite fit is Mac Jones with the Patriots. And again, I, I think Mac landing in new England was about as good of a landing spot as he could have hoped for aside from San Francisco which was probably the dream landing spot for any of these quarterbacks talent wise. Yep. Can you name two Patriots wide receivers though? Because I can't. I can, but I can't name two good ones. I'll give you that. Um, I will be able to once Julio's there. Well, actually, no, then I'll be able to name one. That's my thing though. Like, so you can, that's my point though. You can't name oh, yeah. two Patriots wide receivers. And that's going to be the big question is along with his limitations and the lack of talent around him, what do they do? Yeah. 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 And you just kind of have to wait and see, but I have blind faith more than anything that that's going to work <laughs> out just fine. That's and fair. Again, you can't, it's, it's so tough because again, what you like about it is that they have worked around the, the limitations of others of Tom Brady before. And again, Tom Brady, Mac Jones, you, you can't just go in blindly say they're the same thing, but you know, was it Tom Brady or Bill Bill Belichick, who was getting receivers open when they weren't good. You know, they have Randy Moss points. I guess you have Edelman in there consistently. I, I'm just curious to see how it plays out because I do think that the, the the schemes that they have in their back pocket, maybe they've been put away for a year or two now, you pull those out, and I think you have to be excited about what that means for, for that team, especially with those tight ends there too. The narrative that Brady had no talent around him the whole time in New England gets kind of blown out of proportion, though, because he played with – the greatest slot wide receiver of all time, Wes Welker. Yep. Edelman had a great career. Randy Moss came in and helped him go to the Super Bowl. You played with the best tight end of all time, or one of the best tight ends in all time in Gronk. Like, again, Maybe it wasn't like he was always out talent. there. Yeah. Never had them like all together always... at the same time, though. No, which yeah, is fair. There was but always it's not a like... bomb in there somewhere. That's every team. True. Yeah. Uh, from a scouting perspective, isn't it interesting? Um, I'd really like to hear your opinion about this, Jake, that 
for Mac Jones, the Patriots are going away from the old Bill Parcells quarterback rules. Um, and if the interest from the Saints was true as well, Sean Payton was willing to do that as well. Of course, to remind our listeners, the Bill Parcells quarterback rules, three years as a starter. Is he a senior? Which Mac Jones is. Did he graduate? Mac Jones did. Did he start 30 games? Did he win 23 games? Does he have a touchdown to interception ratio of at least two to one? And was his completion percentage over 60%? And it's a divergence because I think they're also using that Browns uh, scouting system that was then implemented with Ozzie Newsome way back in the day in 98 when Belichick and those guys. So it's another like, you know, we talk about thresholds and stuff like that and certain scouting, um, you know, grading systems, but this is a grading system that they're kind of deviating from in this sense. Yeah. It's interesting to see that new England is already kind of, you know, jumped on this. It's a trend now. Um, Just these quarterbacks, especially after the COVID year, going to have less games played, less games started, fewer numbers. Um, But yeah, it is interesting to see that Bill is really willing to buck that trend. Mm -hmm. I think Mac's a bit of a special case, though, um, just because he is a Nick Saban player. Um, He showed the ability to run that offense at a very high level. And I think that Josh McDaniels is going to do his best to kind of bring that, you know, I don't want to call it Steve Sarkeesian offense, but that type of offense in uh, that Mac Jones thrived in so much. But I mean, I'm not surprised just because they had such a need at the position and the fit made so much sense. Um, We're just going to see a lot more of this, I believe. I mean, very few guys are going to be like this Trevor Lawrence starting for three straight years, win a ton of games, have crazy numbers. Um, You know, especially the next two, three years with this COVID year, being thrown in as a wrench. So it'll be interesting to see if more teams are able or willing to buck that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, did Justin Fields fit into that Bill Parcells criteria? I don't believe so simply because he isn't a senior, right? That's right. Oh yeah. Zach um, Wilson, Trey Lance wouldn't either. Mm-hmm. So yeah. actually in this class, It'd be no like Kellen Mond and Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence would be the closest, Kellen but Mond. Trevor Lawrence also not a senior. Oh, yeah, not um, a senior. You're right. And yeah, Fields actually not a three-year starter, not a senior, did not graduate, did not start 30 games, did not win 23. Dude, that rule might be dead. I mean, the senior it's like, part. It's going to base At least pieces of it. The senior part should be a link. I mean, obviously, it, it really narrows your search down. And yeah. I'm very against models like that because I'm a big, I would much rather be the one team that's able to find that outlier than be the team that took cast it a wide net, narrowed it down really tight to just a smaller group. Um, What's also interesting from a scouting standpoint and the behind the scenes stuff, back to back Alabama picks for, Belichick and this is something I like to talk about from time to time and it's something we know about the Belichick regime Um, and I can't imagine how frustrating this is for the scouting department they do all the work then the guys who make the ultimate decisions come in 
I mean, there were baffling quotes from Albert Breer or on the Albert Breer piece about Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Like, we need to watch as much film and study these guys, do it on our own. It's like you have a scouting department. Um, and that's what Belichick is doing. And rather than trusting a whole staff that does this year round, you know what happened. He called up his buddy, Nick Saban, got the endorsement on two players. Um, and that's how you make mistakes. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but that's how you make mistakes. Um, and credit to Kyle Shanahan, who seems to have gone the other way, was maybe kind of stuck in one direction. Let the, the coaching staff or the scouting staff, the front office, and the interviews impact him and make a different decision. Um, and we'll find out if that was ultimately the one. Um, guys, other fits, classes that stood out to you? I found it very interesting, all the attraction to J.C. Horn, the fact that he ends up going eighth overall ahead of Sertain. I did have it as a wager out there, so I wasn't shocked by it. Um, there were murmurs of it. Um, and, you know, even the Eagles who moved up to 10, word on the street as they were moving up to 10 originally to take J.C. Horn and jump the, the Cowboys to do so. Um, and then both cornerbacks were gone. They ended up kind of going towards Devontae Smith. But I think it's so – J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain are so interesting. And I know there was some late interest in Horn, um, you know, kind of some late momentum even media-wise as him as the top cornerback. And, I, you know, to me it comes down to you look at Horn, he's as exciting a cornerback as you'll ever watch. He's competing for every ball. Ball skills are great, super physical to a fall at times. He's got all the physical tools. He's great. Um, Sertain's biggest knock to me is the, the ball skills and getting turned around and playing and swatting the ball a little more. I think coming from an old school cornerback who's his father, he's very ingrained to keep your eyes on your wide receiver. Never, you know, always keep them on your hip. Um, and once in a while, he'll, he'll whiff on a ball or not track it uh, right away. Um, while J.C. Horn might be in terrible position, he might get flagged, he might allow touchdowns, he might not be as re reactive in zone, but you see all the swatted balls and you get really excited. And Horn is super raw, but isn't it concerning that another son of a former stud NFL player is so raw? I mean, usually these guys, their advantage as their they've got that pro coach in their whole lives. Think of Antoine Winfield Jr. Think of the Bosa brothers. Think of Christian McCaffrey as a route runner. Um, these are guys who already had NFL coaching their entire life and they come in the NFL. Boom. Horn doesn't have that. And I wonder why he hasn't taken to it earlier and why he was kind of a late bloomer at South Carolina only played his best last year. So that seems like a risky pick and I'm a bit thrown off by the general raise for the jc horn pick as cornerback one and that kind of thing i can i can play some devil's advocate because mm -hmm. to, to me like that's the one piece that stops me from just being in love with carolina's class because i do think it should have been sertan but when you think of what you have back there with jeremy chin just kind of like this this weapon um you can play zone play man you can blitz him he can he can tackle i almost I almost think if they thought like it, it could be kind of boring having Sertan just like locked down one side where instead they could have more of this, this playmaker type rather than the lockdown type, you know, make a defense that's more predicated on chaos than everybody 
you know, lock in, do your job. Um, and, and I'm not sure if that's making as much sense when I say it out loud as when I say it in my head. But I do think that there's something to, you know, he does get his hands on balls. He does go pick stuff up. He, he, he's big and he's physical and I think maybe has a more intimidating presence um, than Sertan. Although I would argue Sertan is also very physical and, and you really like him in press coverage. He's 6'2", 2", whatever. Um, and I wonder if maybe that could be some of what they're drawn to. Um, but just to expand on the rest of the class and why I like it so much, you know, Terrace Marshall, end of the second round, that's that's a very good pick. And then from there, like this, the stretch from the fourth through the sixth round of Chuba Hubbard, Davion Nixon, Keith Taylor, Deontay Brown, those are four of my guys. Shy Smith coming in after that. Shy Smith, another one of my guys. Um, so I do, I think maybe I, I can bump them up a little bit for the J.C. Horn pick because I like the other things that they did, but that's not, that's not really how that works. You left out my guy, Tommy Tremble, too, man. Tommy Tremble is going to be – he could be pretty impactful, and he's a nasty blocker. I think DJ said it live on the NFL Network show. He reminds him a lot of George Kittle when he was coming out as a prospect, which is very intriguing to think about. Yeah, kind of a smaller H-back, and they have a few different hybrid playmakers in that offense, which is – Makes it intriguing for sure. Back to the corners real quick. I also found it interesting. First two teams to go corner, eight and nine in the top 10. Two of the teams who are known for being in zone coverage the most. And I think we're seeing that switch, guys. I think we're seeing that switch. You, I agree. Well, I agree. Teams, teams play zone because they don't have man guys. So that's why they become <laughs> zone heavy teams. So now yeah. you draft some man guys and you can get a bit more versatile. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that versatility, you know, that is what we know about Vic Fangio. He loves versatility. Yeah. Why would he want to run just his own defense when he can let the offense be confused mm-hmm. about what's going to come? Um, and it's just, it's just one more thing that you can mess around with. One more thing now that you can change play to play week to week, whatever, and, and just confuse catch, catch offenses off guard. And at this point, I mean, the, they have the, the weapons that they need on the backside. I guess you would look for a versatile linebacker. That's really the one piece that's missing between like the, is he going uphill, downhill, man zone? We don't know. Um, but outside of the inside linebackers, they have, they can do pretty much anything they want now. Yeah. And how interesting that both those guys going in the top 10, they're complete corners. You know, they're, they're great in coverage, but they're physical. They're big. They're like big, big. Mm-hmm. And they tackle well. So, yeah, now you can run more exotic back stuff because you can trust your number one corner to be physical, to, to tackle and do all that. Um, so that's intriguing. Justin, I haven't heard from you. I'd, be, I'd really love to hear some of the picks, classes, anything that stood out to you, man. There's so much to unpack with this, this uh, 2021 class. Uh, my only thought on, on the J.C. Horn situation, I – I understand why teams are intrigued by him. Again, he tested through the roof. Mm-hmm. He's a little too inconsistent for my taste. I'm I'm more of a I give Same. me the quote unquote boring guy because I can trust him. Yeah, I, I just that seems logical to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say he kind of reminds me a little bit, at least stylistically, of like a, a Dominique Rogers Cromartie type player, just in a sense that he's gonna get burned probably four or five times for like a long touchdown where you're just like, what in the hell was he doing? but he's also probably going to get two or three pick sixes that other corners wouldn't get because he just naturally is so aggressive and is willing to take those risks on the ball. Again, it's just, you know, what are you willing to put up with? If, if it yeah. becomes too, too big of a problem, 
he might, you know, kind of burn out. And again, that's why I tend to lean with just give me Sertan. Like he's going to cover his guy. He might not get eight picks in a season. He might be a, you know, two inter two, three interception a season type guy, but he's not going to get burned. He's so consistent, mm-hmm. great tackler, all those things you said. Um, teams that stood out to me, I love what the Atlanta Falcons did. You get Kyle Pitts, who's potentially like a, a you know, a Hall of Fame generational impact type guy. They had Richie Grant, who I liked a lot. Uh, Jalen Mayfield, a guy with some decent potential. Um, but they also took two guys out of the Mountain West, who I really like. Darren Hall, mm-hmm. a cornerback out of San Diego State, slipped to the fourth round. was a little surprising to me. He's a stud. They also took Avery Williams, who's probably yeah. going to be a special teams only type guy. I think he's too small to, to you know, rely on consistently in coverage, has some physicality issues as well. He's an absolute game breaker on special teams. A dude that's blocked like eight punts in his career, also a kickoff returner, takes them to the house as well. I'm just a big fan of those type of guys. I think that they added a lot of versatile talent. And I think they they went with some unique guys. And I just think it was a really fun class. Uh, the Detroit Lions, I liked a lot. You get Penny mm. Sewell and Le- Levi on Wuzurike, two of my favorite guys. They got Amon State Brown, who's, yeah. you know, inconsistent. Jamar Jefferson, I think, is a, a really nice value pick that they added late. Those those are probably my two favorite. And, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm very high on what Denver did. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up the Lions one because there is a lot to like there. And particularly, like, I was pretty low on Amonra St. Brown. The idea of him just, like, playing with Jared Goff, potentially having a whole lot of space to work with. He's just working underneath, finding his space. Like, I, I think maybe Jared Goff is – one of the ideal pairings for him as a receiver. And and when I was thinking about him going to some of these other offenses, like if he goes to the Falcons, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know how he fits in. The, like, it's just so easy for me to not like what I see. But as soon as I saw that pop up, I thought that was just a perfect match. Um, I want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. I oh, thought yeah. their draft yep. was very interesting. It was almost like one pick I liked. And then the next pick I was a bit iffy on the whole way down. Um, just to quickly go through it, though, Bateman kind of fills that role of a true number one that they've been missing, someone oh, that can really run routes. Uh, so that's a very intriguing fit. Now you can get Marquise Brown more in that deep threat, just kind of take off the top role, a bit more natural fit for him. Uh, one of my favorite picks in the entire draft, Ben Cleveland. You talk about just a nasty football player, goes to probably one of the most physical and nasty teams in the NFL. Uh, Tylen Wallace, I'm interested to see how this works out just because – Lamar Jackson, you know, people dog on him all the time for a passer. I think he's one of the better passers in the league, or at least better than most quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if his play style actually fits Tyler Moss's game. Uh, I don't know how much loft Lamar Jackson is able to consistently get on the ball. And, you know, you talk about Tylen Wallace, he's got a lot of Allen Robinson in his game, just able to make spectacular catches, post-up catches. Um, I just don't know if Lamar is going to, really play into that too much. Um, you know, Sean Wade, uh, good luck, man, uh, with that one. And then Ben Mason, they lose, they lose Kyle Juszczyk a couple yeah. years ago, and you get probably the closest thing to him and Ben Mason, the fullback from Michigan, uh, very versatile, you know, can just run in and play fullback, can also play some H, but also go out and catch passes too. So just a very intriguing draft from Baltimore. Yeah, I wonder no. if, you know, Lamar not being able to push it so much outside the numbers if they wanted to get him to two of the more competitive wide receivers at the catch point in the entire class to compete over the middle and then rack up that yak, you know, for him. So to 
guys who can kind of assist Lamar in that sense, you know, Jake, but you make a good mm-hmm. point. We, we saw Leatherwood as a fit for them when we were doing our mocks and they get a, a road grader at much better value and then Cleveland, obviously a guard instead of a tackle, but um, similar fit in that way. Yeah. Baltimore is way up there in terms of my draft rankings. Um, one that we haven't talked about though is Buffalo. Uh, I really, really liked what they did, starting out with Greg Russo at the end of the first, Mm -hmm. getting Carlos Basham at the end of the second. Mm -hmm. Um, You can just see what they're trying to do, and and I like it so much. Those guys are going to hold down the the, the front of that defense for a long time, I think. Then from there, they go back-to-back tackles with Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. Can't say I know a whole lot about Tommy Doyle. I do like the Spencer Brown pick, though. And then from there, like those late round guys, Marquez Stevenson's just a good value in the sixth round. That's what you want to see these teams do is use one of those picks, at least one of them in the sixth, seventh round on one of these receivers, because the receivers you get in the sixth round this year are fourth rounders in, in other years, just as a blanket. And they might even be better than that. Um, well, Damar Hamlin, a guy Isaiah we like. McKenzie could do in that offense and Marquez Stevenson, like, man, that's an upgrade guys. Um <laughs> Absolutely. And it's size, size, size with those first four picks, Hank. Like, yep. Yep. We nailed that Rousseau pick, didn't we? Didn't we mock him? <laughs> we did. I forgot about that. We did. Yeah. In, in retrospect. We also had two quarterbacks slipping pick. out of the top 10, which we were like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And then it did. I, I was hesitant to agree that, with that, though. I will say that the um, quarterbacks wouldn't slip. Yeah. Real quick on the Buffalo pass. Bills draft. This draft just looks like a draft of a contender just because you you really just took best available. Um, you know, you took two edges with your top two picks. You took your next two picks, two tackles. I mean, that, that just sounds like a contender. I mean, you're literally just going for value. Yeah. I could throw one more out there real quick. Um, sure. Just because you brought up contenders. Cleveland? I'm not sure if we're Dude. totally there with Cleveland being a contender, but, but Greg nice. Newsom at the end of the first, adding a speedy corner, like you, you could you have Denzel Ward on the other side. And so when you play the Chiefs, you get to put Newsom on, you know, whoever their number two is that week. Nicole Hardman, one of those guys. You love that fit. Jeremiah Wusukormo, obviously the health stuff is big, but if if that pans out, that was an absolute steal. And knowing what we know, which is less than what NFL teams know, absolutely worth the risk, in my opinion. Um, and then yeah. from there, you know, a guy like Richard LeCount, he's had the drop off. But at the end of the fifth round, that's a great guy to take a chance on. We talk about how these safeties sometimes take some time, especially the, the deep center fielder type where it's reading stuff. And they close things out with Demetric Felton at the end of the sixth. Just another one of the guys that I really like. Um, I'm excited to watch that team too. Felton listed at wide receiver. Oh, you never know. You never know with any of these guys. There were some other weird ones. I can't remember what they are. Uh. Interest. I mean, the identity of that team is very clear. They had speedsters at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You had two safeties in LeCount and Owusu Koromoa. And then, like, Newsom's paired with Denzel Ward, two fast twitched up corners to play aggressive man as you're hoping Miles Garrett and the edge rushers can uh, really speed things up. Um, I'll mention just the two New York teams. I thought um, the Giants did a really nice job of maneuvering down the board and still getting Kadarius Toney. You know, the two deepest wide receiver classes I've studied, um, one was the Sammy Watkins, Odo Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, Kelvin Benjamin. 
class and the other one of course was last year's wide receiver class both those years kind of the forgotten wide receiver the third fourth wide receiver of the class ended up being the best of the bunch uh odell beckham jr for the sammy watkins group obviously early to say justin jefferson's the best of uh of last year's class but i think tony could have that kind of like forgotten man upside um ojulari obviously uh Supposedly, that's who the Jaguars wanted over yeah. Travis Etienne. They wanted Tony with that second pick, and that would have been really intriguing with him mm-hmm. and Trevor Lawrence. A hundred. I think they sh- they were right to want that too. Well, Urban Meyer basically created that role with Percy Harvin way back when, and <laughs> Dan Mullins, you know, one of his most trusted offensive coordinators he's had throughout his career. Um, and yeah, he, he spoke very candidly about wanting Tony. It does get me excited for how they're going to use ETN though. It okay. sounds to me they wanted a, a slash player as urban calls it. Couldn't get it in Kadarius that they will use Travis ETN that way. They, at first they were getting slack because he said something about him being a third down back. Um, no, he's going to be a slash player. They're going to try and use him. Basically that means like an Alvin Kamara. That's how you use him. Don't try to use him as a conventional back. That's how you use ETN. That pick could be phenomenal. Um, on Urban Meyer, I thought he got too much in his bag. Uh, you know, it's all like former fifth five stars who he'd recruited. Like, <laughs> go beyond what your evaluation was three years ago, bro. That's um, Urban, though. He does the same thing with coaching hires. Like, it's he's one of those dudes that values his own opinion so high yeah. that he's like, I trust him. So he's clearly going to work out. And I mean, to his credit, you know, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time, like a brilliant football mind has had success literally everywhere he's been, Uh but it's a new ball game in the NFL and you got to trust more than just you. And if I'm not mistaken, Pete Carroll was kind of doing this early on and everyone was like, Oh, Pete Carroll's a genius getting all these five stars that didn't work out. That's not how Seattle turned it around. It was finding guys in the CFL and, you know, like a, a former wide receiver converted to cornerback at Stanford um, who really made the difference, not so much former five-star guys. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I thought the Giants did a great job. You know, Ojulari, Ellerson Smith, Aaron Robinson. I mean, geez, that, that's a hell of a top four. And the Jets, while I thought they paid a little much moving up for Vera Tucker, I would have just stayed put and taken Jenkins. Pretty nice class there, too, with Zach Wilson, Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter. That is a monstrous speed. Um, top four. Right. You give you give Wilson the speed. He's a fast operator, and he's got the long bomb. So that'll help him in both those areas. And then you get a phenomenal guard. They've really addressed the offensive line the last couple of years and uh, says a lot that they would add a guard who they said had evaluated in their top ten. So at 14, they kind of felt like they were getting a steal. But Elijah Moore was one of the steals of round two. And that's a really nice situation. Can I mention how much I hate that Creed Humphrey landed on the Chiefs? Oh, that was rough. Because that like they didn't have very many picks, obviously. They were able to add Nick Bolton, mm-hmm. who I don't love, but I think you put yeah. him on that defense. It's a you know a good piece. But Creed Humphrey, man, especially given that they they had some O-line issues, they've already addressed it a little bit in free agency and obviously the trade with Baltimore. God, that's just him and Mahomes. Like you have the smartest center on the field. 
one of the smartest and, and most brilliant quarterbacks, like that sucks just from a Denver Broncos perspective. Great, oh, yeah. great job, chief scouting department, but that sucks for us. I was sure, making but... notes on a board and uh, Kadarius Tony was number one. Creed Humphrey was number two on my list of don't let them land in Casey. Um, we've seen before though, offensive line takes a long time to gel, especially yeah. when you've got so many new pieces. Yeah. So while we do like the players and the moves they've made, um, you know, TBD. it's not fixed yet. Exactly. Uh, real quick. I want to go back to Jacksonville, some risks on day two, uh, with Walker little and Andre Cisco Walker little, much more of a risk than Andre Cisco, but I love Andre Cisco going there. Uh, if healthy, I would hope that he starts right away, and I hope that he's still the same ball hawk that we saw at Syracuse. Can we talk about least favorite classes? Okay. It's a lot tougher. Um, yeah, it took me a while to kind of go through. Um, you know, there's some low-hanging fruit classes like the sure. Texans and the Seahawks just because they didn't have many picks or many high picks. Uh-huh. I want to go to Pittsburgh, though, um, mm. and that's because – well. For a variety of reasons. I love the Najee Harris pick, probably one of my favorite overall fits in the draft, but they were very weak on the offensive line uh, coming into the draft and they basically just ignored it. Um, I do like some of the lottery shots that they took in the sixth and seventh rounds in Quincy Roche and Trey Norwood, yep. uh, Isaiah Loudermilk too in the fifth, but still um, you've got, an ancient Ben Roethlisberger back there and they didn't address the offensive line. So I, I don't know how this is going to work. Or at a QB. Yeah, too. Also, Jake, do you think it's a little like, for lack of better words, intellectually dishonest to think that Najee Harris is going to fix that run game. Like, the problem for the Steelers run game was that they have a 40 year old quarterback that can only operate out the gun. It wasn't yeah. that they're running backs. It's that this is a 99% of the time shotgun team period. Yeah. That's interesting. Najee ran pretty well out of the shotgun. I thought, yeah. even though I think yeah. when it's all said and done, he is more so of a downhill back. Um, I think he'll be able to help Ben out in the check down game, the screen game yeah, um, sure. underneath. So yeah, I mean, it's. I just, you know, we talk about running back value a lot, and I usually tend to go against that just because I think running backs are still very impactful players, even though you may only get three, four years use out of them. They can really help turn a season around. Mm-hmm. But if there was a team to not take a running back, even though they really needed one, you know, with all the needs given for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a bit puzzling. Um, but yeah, man, I... We didn't really get any receiver help for Ben either. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't understand. They really, I think, see their offense a lot differently than people on the outside see it. And, you know, it kind of hit disaster at some points last year. And Ben's definitely not getting younger. So a bit hesitant to see how this team performs. I don't think 12 and 4 is in the cards in 21 can't imagine it is i um i thought the colts really underwhelmed i obviously love the quitty pay pick though that is they have been kind of going after undersized edge rushers for a minute under chris ballard um so a bit redundant with some of the picks i haven't agreed with in the past i think of reaching on ben banagoo 
um, a couple of years ago, which maybe in retrospect doesn't look like a reach. But then after that really terrible value, Deo Odengbo uh, from Vandy, like you could have waited to get that kind of defensive lineman way later. And then just hate the rest of the class. I mean, yeah, it's not good. Kylan Granson, the SMU tight end, might be intriguing, but seemed like quite a reach in the fourth round. Uh, like Ellinger to me was not draft worthy. Like I just hated everything they did. This is a, this is oddly a front office who has drafted well, but per my draft grades rarely matches up. Um, and they're getting a low draft once again. And I think after that Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard class, they haven't drafted all that well. So now it's kind of a big year and I'm not sure they capitalized the way they could have. I don't like what the Rams did, man. I, I like Tutu Atwell. I think he has some potential, but I, I don't know he's going to be like a legitimate number one type wide receiver. The receivers, they took him over too. Exactly. There were so many good guys on the board still. They took the South Carolina linebacker, Ernest Jones. After that, I felt like he mm-hmm. was a reach. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wide receiver, Jacob Harris uh, <laughs> out of UCF. We'll see. Like, I, I didn't even know who that dude was. <laughs> like i studied a lot of wide receivers this year his name didn't come up at any point yeah and that's not to say that he won't pan out because again they're like that happens all the time guys just fly under the radar but i don't know man i i I, I just don't see what mcveigh was doing here I, i can't like figure out their draft philosophy with this class like they didn't go i mean it was a good mix i guess they got a lot of different positions but it just kind of felt like it's a very like contender without a first round pick who's also adding a new quarterback and wants a couple new weapons. So the defensive players you get are kind of like high floor backups from SEC programs. So they're at least kind of safe and you're really dying for depth. So you need kind of safer backups. Atwell and Harris are like speedsters. Harris is ginormous. Tutu Atwell, very small. So with Atwell, you can now run those jet sweeps and more vertical routes, which you weren't doing a ton of with Goff. But with Stafford's big arm, you want to air it out more. Harris's intrigue was more as a tight end. He's a really good long-limbed blocker who tested off the charts. So he's kind of like a hybrid who might give you a little more stretch-the-field ability. Um, And I mean... Skull rank the the Notre Dame wide receiver, decent blocker, contested ball guy. I mean, so yeah, it's just kind of a meh draft. Um, but those are interesting classes. There's a few different classes like Seattle, like the Rams, like Houston, like Kansas City, um, r- that are really telling on how you handle fewer draft picks as a contender. And might be a situation that Denver, the Denver Broncos are in sooner rather than later. And there are still like Kansas city to me did a phenomenal job. You wait till the six for Trey Smith, you get a phenomenal fit in Creed Humphrey who wasn't for everyone, but in the right fit, I said it for me, I'd like hall of fame upside. And then Nick Bolton, not my favorite, but a good value there and a decent um, contributor. Plus you got a few more weapons. That is the ideal, how you handle a draft with fewer picks um right there while the other ones you know it's they're they're all in tough spots you know i i honestly thought the rams did the best of the bunch but yeah you can nitpick that one to death for sure 
What are what are your guys' thoughts on Dwayne Eskridge landing with Seattle? They were obviously a team that didn't have a ton of picks. He's, you know, a little bit of a gamble, kind of considered a project, but obviously Hank and I really like his upside. Let, let's start with Hank because that's his guy. Is that a good landing spot for him? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, the fact they went in the second round, a little bit surprising, a little bit surprising. Um, and, and so the, the first question I have is, could they have waited and gotten him later? And I'm not so sure that the answer is uh, – I tied myself up there with my words. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think I do like him. I do like him. And I think that that offense makes a lot of sense because he is fast and he can separate downfield, and Russell Wilson could take advantage of that. At the same time, you have DK Metcalf. You have Tyler Lockett. You only have three picks in this draft. Is this where you wanted to go with one of them? Would you have been better off waiting until the fourth round to find somebody? Yes. I, I, th- I think that that's probably the way that I would have gone. But again, I, I do really like Dwayne Eskridge, and so I can only hate on the pick so much. They don't address the O-line at all. And that's supposedly the big point of contention with Russell Wilson and, and the franchise. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because they've literally never addressed the offensive line. And there it's were some been... good tackles available in that second <laughs> yeah. round. I like Stone Foresight they do. in the sixth. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on the flip side, though, wasn't doesn't Dwayne Eskridge that pick? Doesn't that kind of look like uh, you know, reaching out the olive branch to Russell Wilson, being like, "Look, we got you another speedy weapon. Here you go. Right. Like, please be happy." Um, my favorite pickup from Seattle though was actually undrafted to Marion Taylor or Terry. Uh, oh yeah. You know they found DK Metcalf late in the draft. This guy fits that mold. We haven't seen him play football in a long, long time. But if he looks anything the way he used to look at FSU when he was healthy, that's going to be a steal. Beautiful. Um, anything Anything else before we move on here and, and get, another, get another ad read in? Let's do the ad read, and then we'll do some rapid-fire awards and stuff, and we'll have uh... – a lot more of the summer to kind of dig into some of the fun stuff from this draft, but um, I'm glad we were able to get more of an overview like this today. But yeah, let's take that break right. real quick, Hankster. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Got Bush? You definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. After using these life-changing products, you're going to want to join a ball sack beauty contest. I'm looking out for you because I have an exclusive 20% off discount code. And that code is DNVR. You can use it at manscaped.com and get 20% off your purchase. It's a great deal. Uh, there's so many incredible products. Uh, we talk about the perfect package 3.0 all the time. Uh, it comes with a lawnmower 3.0, which is their waterproof cordless body trimmer. Um, it's like 7,000 RPMs, but it also has advanced skin safe technology. So you, you don't have to get worried about what could go wrong down there. Seriously, it is the best trimmer that you can find to help you trim up the hedges. Um, from there, you can also get your hands on the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, making sure your balls are spelling majestic before your Tinder date. Uh, you'll also find the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It's a spray-on testy toner that's designed to make your balls smell irresistible. Uh, be sure to add the refined cologne to your arsenal so that the rest of you smells irresistible as well, because... I mean, obviously, there's more things you want to smell good than that. Um, With a perfect package or performance package purchase, you get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, that's a $39 value. 
and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Again, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code DMVR at manscaped.com. So do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for your bush trimming experience. Love it. I don't know about uh, if I want to join a, a ball sack beauty contest anytime soon, but I like I like that I should have the confidence to because of these amazing products. You're always going to be mm-hmm. smelling fresh, nice and clean down there. Summer's coming up, guys. It's getting hot. That dry heat in Colorado. Hank's got the product out, ready to go. Check it out, yep. man. It's going to change your life. And again, their body wash, it is awesome. I love it. I just ordered some more of it. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. Yeah, um, we've talked about our favorite and least favorite fits and picks and classes. I want to go through some early offensive rookie and defensive rookie picks because that's really where you know the best fits are. And of course, we've got some odds from DraftKings Sportsbook here to help us. The top five defensive rookie of the year candidates are Micah Parsons at plus 400, Jalen Phillips at plus 700, Jamin Davis at plus 900 and Quiddy Pay at plus a thousand. Zayvon Collins, Patrick Sertain, JOK, and JC Horn follow. Fellas, who would be your pick for defensive rookie of the year? Uh, I think there's some value here, honestly. Lots of value. I like JOK just because of the fit. Um, Mm. I talk so much about him as a player this year. I really like the player, the fit, incredible. Uh, I got a couple underdogs, though. Already talked about Andre Sisco. How about Paulson Adebo, though, for the New Orleans Saints? Great pick. A guy that has been really off the radar because of the opt-out. But, you know, the tape is just awesome to watch. And, you know, they talked about going up for a corner. I think they got a very nice consolation prize in the third round with Paulson Adebo. That's an interesting one. Uh, Hank, sir? Yeah. um, To me, I think that this is wide open. I think that there's there's a real chance that it's like Micah Parsons, Jalen Phillips, one of the guys up at the top. It's not like last year, though, where you have a Chase Young, and you're like, yeah, this guy's going to do it. Um, and to me, if I'm betting on this, I'm, I'm going to be taking some some good odds. You know, Jabril Cox at plus 5,000. You could see him being a pretty nice cover guy right away, getting a couple of picks. You know, How he gets on maybe, the field in Dallas will be interesting. Yeah, that's true. At the same time, though, like, I don't think that they're in love with anybody they have at that position. I do think that if he does play well, they can be, they will be pretty quick to getting him out there. Um, you know, Christian Barrymore, he, he brings the size, I, I think way down there. You wonder just because he doesn't have that closing speed. Can he get the the sacks, the tackles for loss to, to put up the numbers he'd need? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm struggling. Because I really don't like the idea of taking Jalen Phillips or Micah Parsons at those odds. I mean, because of the, what we've seen last year, you know, it's Antoine Winfield, Jeremy Chin breaking out. Chase Young wins it, but that's totally different. Um, I'll throw Ojolari out there. Yeah, it's tough to me, though. I would lean edge just because I think guys that rack up sacks have a good chance just of getting that shine, that spotlight. Again, I mean, you look at the top corners, I think Horn or, or Sertan, either one of those guys, probably Horn, just given that he has less competition in the secondary than, than Sertan is going to have to go up against. I like Micah Parsons, just because I think he's going to play a lot. Um, again, I'd, I'd probably lean Jalen Phillips, though. 
Raymond Davis would be my pick. Um, Ooh, that's a good one too. Uh, tack, you know, linebackers that rack up lots of tackles. It's a classic story as old as time. Um, and I Tales worry about Parsons. As old as time. I worry about Parsons. I, I kind of hate that fit. Um, yeah. What about offensive rookie of the year? Here, the big favorite, Trevor Lawrence at plus 300. Justin Fields at plus 600, tied with Trey Lance. Zach Wilson plus 700. Najee plus 1,000. And then we get into Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Mac Jones on there, Devontae Smith. Um, Trey Sermon plus 2,500. Interesting. This time in reverse order, Justin, start us off. I'm going to go with Trey Lance just because the amount of talent around him, I think puts him in a really you know good position to succeed. Obviously the easy cheese is, is Trevor Lawrence. And I think if you want to sprinkle that, that makes a lot of sense, but I think you got to consider the fit around him and just how the, the offensive success as a whole is going to benefit Trey Lance. Um, that's where I would lean. Hank. Uh, Hank yep. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going Trevor Lawrence. I mean, He's the he's the best quarterback, <laughs> and I feel like if, if one of the quarterbacks is worthy of this award, they're going to give it to a quarterback. You look at the weapons he has around him, you're happy with those. You know, Trey Lance, I, I like some of that argument at the same time. It, how much does he even play this year? Because I'm not so sure that it's, it's enough to really compete with Trevor Lawrence. And again, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to get that offense clicking. When you look at the other quarterbacks, I, I think it's kind of like toss-ups, whether things go well or not this year. Um, and, and the receivers, the running backs don't really do it to me. It's Trevor Lawrence. And I, I feel really happy that I'm getting plus 300 odds on that bet. Yeah. Lawrence is the obvious one. Um, also Trey Lance, uh, going to throw my two cents in on that one too. And just with Trey Lance, uh, you know, he may not start right away, but if he does start right away, I would throw money on him as soon as that announcement goes live. Um, a couple of running backs. I think you got to consider Najee Harris. I think if he has a big year and kind of carries the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, that he could be definitely in consideration. Trey Sermon, I actually really like that pick too, um, especially at those odds. It's really juicy. Yeah. Uh, possibly Javante. Uh, Melvin Gordon's shown that, you know, he can get hurt time to time. He can fumble the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he gets into, you know, the doghouse with the coaches, Javante could be in for a big year. How about Amari Rogers, though? Uh, especially if Aaron Rodgers stays, obviously. Um, you know, we talked about probably the closest thing to Randall Cobb in the draft. And if he's just eating up easy yardage in the slot and scoring touchdowns in the red zone, uh, I think he's someone that could definitely get that Kyle Pitts too. Um, you just got to sprinkle a bit everywhere. I think with this offensive rookie of the year, Javante, if they were able to add Aaron Rodgers and all of a sudden are a contender and he's like a, a big contributor on a contender at plus 3,300 is actually extraordinary value. And I would imagine if a trade were to go through in the next month that that value might even be cut in half. Um, I'm going to go Justin Fields. I've really come around to, I'm not so sure that Chicago situation is such a bad spot. Again, if Rodgers were to move, all of a sudden the Bears kind of become a sneaky in the mix to win that division team. Do not underestimate Nagy and what he's been able to do for young quarterbacks in the past or even adjusting the offense to Alex Smith. Um, And just remember that under Mitchell Trubisky, this was a team performing at a high level because he was getting Trubisky 
in the right spots, raw talent wise, uh, we're talking about a different universe here with Fields. So I would put that plus 600 on Fields right there. Like it. Perfect. Let's, um, what about the Antoine Winfield Jr. Award, the rookie with the biggest impact on a contender this season? If you had to pick one from this rookie class, where would you go? That's a tough question. You know, I talked about how much I like the Bills class. Mm-hmm. I could, I could see Russo, I could see Basham, either one of them making some really big plays late in the uh-huh. season. Um, and, and that was the first thing that came to my mind. That's a good one. Um, I've already mentioned all the guys I wrote down for this award. I've got Paulson Adebo there, mm-hmm. uh, JOK, Rashad Bateman, and Creed Humphrey. That's who I would focus on. If I had to pick one, I'd say Creed Humphrey, though. Yeah, that's a good pick. Kind of like the Bateman pick. Um, that's a really good one. Justin, who in Well, I already talked about how much I like Creed Humphrey on the Chiefs, but I don't really like using a center for this type of... I know. That's where I'm... I hadn't even thought of Creed Humphrey. That's a fun pick there. Um, yeah, the thing is, though, it's not like it's the NFL or like voters giving out this award and you just have to be like, well, there's no way they're going to pick a lineman. Like, it's just us sure, who sure. is going to make the most impact. I'll go Creed Humphrey then, or uh, Greg Newsom on the Browns. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, I've got an all-timer for you. Uh, Let's Jake, hear it. Shame on you for not picking this one, oh. but maybe the circumstances <laughs> change in a few weeks. <laughs> it is T. Martin's child, Amari Rogers. Okay. Randall, Ra- Randall Cobb 2.0 going to the Packers in that situation. Loved that pick. I thought that got a little lost in the shuffle after a tremendous pick on Eric Stokes, who frankly, if I was the Browns, I would take it Stokes over Newsom. Our listeners know that. Um, and yeah, I would have taken Amari Rogers ahead of Josh Myers. They still get Amari Rogers in the third. That's a great fit. He stays on that team or Rogers stays on that team. Uh, yeah. Mr. Rogers to Mr. Rogers is going to be a fun one. Okay. Can I put my so- fanboy cap on real quick? Cause I thought <laughs> you were it. going a different way. I thought you were going I did too. more. Oh, um, you know, I out of the slot, obviously, we talked about his ability as a route runner. I like him in that offense, uh, just the versatility. And then I think where the biggest impact will be is as a returner. I think that's where he could really shine and really pull out the uh, first ever Antoine Winfield Jr. Award. So okay. we already got I, into this a little bit. Oh, wait, my bad, Henry. Go ahead. Yeah. So I have another one that I thought was Dre's, but yeah. Uh, ben Mason going oh, to the that's Ravens. That's a good one. With like with Patrick Ricard. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but it doesn't seem to me like they're going to carry two fullbacks. I think that's Ben Mason taking on maybe a bit of a, a use check. I mean, at the very least, a Patrick Ricard role. That's an important piece of that offense, though. I, I could see him, you know, if he, if he can come up with a couple clutch catches. The run game's working well. I don't know. It's a dark horse. Another dark horse? Elijah Mm -hmm. Molden. That's a good one. NFL ready, right? He's got a distinct role. He'll be your nickelback. Titans, I don't know if you see Titans as contenders or not, but they're the favorites in the AFC South to me and like have made some noise in back-to-back years. So um, there you go. There's another one to put on your that was a fun one that was uh that was really interesting 
fate. Okay, we're gonna close this out. Our favorite UDFA pickups. I'll start this one off and mention um, the top seven on my. No, let's go full ten. The top ten on my board who were undrafted and their landing spots. So in order, these are my favorites. Hamilcar Rashad going to the Jets. Um, Marvin Wilson going to the Browns. Really think that's a nice pickup and a good uh, locker room for him to go in. Shocker, Urban Meyer needed another five-star recruit. So he went and got Dylan Moses uh, as an undrafted free Really agent. like that one. Nice pickup. Nice pickup. Good situation. Oh. Charles Snowden, the ginormous outside linebacker at Virginia, goes to the Chicago Bears. Jarrett Patterson, one of oh. my favorite scat backs out of the MAC. He is a Washington football teamer. Warren Jackson, of course, needs no introduction. Love that we were able to talk that out. Also, I know, uh, check out the Rams pods where Jake and Justin broke that down pre-draft. Justin had Warren on the pod pre-draft as well. That's stuff you can't find anywhere else. Phenomenal insights. Javen Hawkins to the Atlanta Falcons. That's an interesting one. Uh, Cade Johnson going to Seattle. I might like that better than Eskridge in the second. Um, Josh Imodabebe, the massive uh, workout freak wide receiver from Illinois. He goes to Jacksonville as well. Shai Smith, Henry mentioned that. Carolina in free agency and Marlon Williams, the explosive wide receiver out of UCF goes to the Houston Texans. No Your mention of Jared Patterson though. Yeah. Jared you got Patterson. Patterson. Washington you get football him in team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got him in there. I, Number five. I didn't hear that one. He's, he's up there for me. Um, just, to, I know he didn't test quite as well as no. he was hoping to it's much similar to Warren Jackson. And again, go listen to that podcast. I've talked with him for about 45 minutes. Warren talks about it. He was very honest. He's like, look, I didn't run as well as I should. It was weird circumstances. You know, there were no excuses. He's just like, I just, I didn't perform as well as I was hoping to. And I really appreciated that. Um, Adarius Washington, safety with the Baltimore Ravens. I like a lot. Great Uh, one. Really great value. Great one. Really good value. Uh, Other than that, go ahead. Yeah. Matt Bushman going to the Raiders. I talked about him a little bit before the draft. Um, he's the BYU tight end who didn't play this season, but was kind of the, the focal point of that offense the year before. I, I, you could make the argument. Um, him going in behind Darren Waller, I think that you could see some pretty cool things going from that offense using both of them. I already said my favorite, Tamari Terry to Seattle. Um, again, you just don't really know what you're getting there. I've got a couple more under the radar ones, just prospects I like that didn't get drafted. Uh, Shakir Brown, the cornerback out of Michigan State, yes. going to Pittsburgh. Um, Good fit. You know, they took Justin Lane from Michigan State a couple years ago. Also, this is the first draft for Michigan State in like 80 years where no one was drafted. Um, That's nuts. But it, yeah, love it. Kind Mel of Tucker. fits the downfall that we've seen on the field. <laughs> um, Miller Forstall, the tight end out of Alabama, going to Tennessee, I think mm. is interesting. And then on the Broncos, uh, David Curry, the linebacker out of Georgia Tech. He's someone that caught my eye earlier in the year, um, you know, before the SEC and Big Ten, everyone started going when we were just watching the SEC all the time. Um, you know, not really the biggest, not really the most athletic, but a guy that made some plays. I got a question yeah. for you guys, um, and, and it's it's on topic here. The Broncos signed Adam Prentice, fullback. He played most of his career at CSU. 
grad transferred to South Carolina with Mike Bobo. Is there any need for a fullback in this Pat Shermer offense? There should be. It's it's still football. Every offense needs a fullback. I think yeah. some offenses get too cute and think that they don't, but they do. So we'll see if Pat Shermer thinks so, but I certainly think so. Yeah, I, I just wanted to throw it out there. He's a freak. Uh, yeah, I, that's where I would have went as well, the blocking tight end. But yeah. I'll just say, man, Adam Prentice, dude's got biceps, like freaking tree trunks. Really good dude. It wouldn't surprise me if he's just one of those dudes that they're like, how'd this guy make the team? And it's just going to be because he's like a special teams grinder that, you know, really going to be a red zone type back. But I don't know. I, I was just I was just curious where you guys were at with that one because it, it, it surprised me. I was excited because I know Prentice and I like him, but I didn't see it coming. Um, and a, a, another tight end I could throw out there, Kenny Boa going to the Jets. Ooh, good one. Yep. Uh, especially with the young quarterback there. Obviously, they're not deep at the tight end position or any other position, so there's a path. Um, and a couple of DBs that the Bills picked up, West Coast DBs, uh, Tariq Thompson from San Diego State with Elijah Griffin from USC. I think between the two of them, one of those two winds up at, at some point being a, a, an NFL player. Nice. To go back to the fullback point, though, it's just an interesting position during this offensive revolution and kind of positionless trend because I think that in order to really get the most out of a fullback anymore, you need them to have an impact in the passing game as a receiver. 100%. Um, those Kyle Juszczyk's, uh, potentially those Ben Masons. I, I think Prentice that's why could I, do that. I haven't seen him, so I, I don't know. I can't can't speak on that too much but just looking going back in time you know like the Andy Janovich pick um he wasn't able to really contribute in the passing game and I think that's kind of why they saw the downfall there I mean there's just no real uh I don't want to say there's no use but they're kind of a dying breed these Lorenzo Neal Vontae Leach types yeah. you know just true fullbacks also and there aren't many fullbacks around that are good anyway and I think that, that kind of gets forgotten I mean we talk about how there's only what 15 starting caliber NFL quarterbacks fullbacks. The number might be even lower. It's a damn good point. Yeah. And that's because you have to be an all world fullback. And like use check mm-hmm. was, or um, Jano's kind of small for that modern fullback. You, you need to be H back size to make that work because yeah. Oh, great. You can have an impact in the receiving game. It'd be great if you were the size of a tight end as well. Cause then your impact in the receiving game is going to be extra tough. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think back to the Patriots winning that Super Bowl with their massive fullback. It's the last time we've seen a fullback that wasn't a threat as a receiver really have any sort of impact. Um, so yeah, there listed you go. at six foot at 245, just for whatever it's worth. That's like he's big, he's big ass dude, fine. big enough. Um, yeah, that's I'm glad we could finish this out with the undrafted free agents because between the four of us, we just rattled off like 25. Um, so there you go. Jets kind of sneak a good job, even as we go through the UDFAs. Jets done a nice one. Joey doesn't D. matter if Zach Wilson doesn't hit, though. That's what it's all about for them. That's true. Yeah, to some extent. Um yeah. Okay, guys, I think that's it for us today. We will be back next week. We'll really start to dig into more of these draft classes. And, um, oh, no, let's close this out real quick. Position or prospect you're most excited going into the 2022 NFL draft? Because mm. we oh, are those Jane guys. Daniels. 
Okay. I'll, I'll just quarterback say out of Daniels. Arizona State. Yep. yep, he's he's electric. He can run. He has a big arm, and Little this threat. is the first year he could be uh, he could be draft eligible. And I think things are going to go well for him. It's an interesting one. Not um, Alave, wide receiver, Ohio yeah. State. He was one of my favorite wide receivers. If he would have been coming out this year, the fact that he's going back, I think he's wide receiver one for me right now. Uh, so many ways to go. I mean, yeah. I'm excited to see my guy Phil Djokovic healthy and back running that BC team. I saw uh, him on a mock in the top 20, Jake. Let's go. You. I'm telling nice. you, man, he can play. Um, and I'm going to go Isaiah Spiller, though, Andre. That's our guy. Mm, yes. um, so fun to watch. I can't wait to watch him again. The Texas a running back. Yeah, yeah Brees Hall. Hall's got some hype. It's going to be a fun running back class. It's actually an exciting class for the Broncos because – We'll find out about quarterbacks, but I think edge and offensive tackle are two classes that are really promising, especially edge. And I'm enamored with a bendy edge rusher out of Georgia, Adam Anderson. I talked him up during the season, really think he's going to have a big year. I love this early Malik Willis hype. That's my guy. And I'm a big Brew McCoy, the massive raw wide receiver out of USC fan. So there's three names for me but that's an exciting class i cannot wait to get into more can i get one more one more guy from usc uh kind of exploded last year out of nowhere but drake johnson uh the guy that was on or is that his name okay Uh, drake Drake jackson Jackson. that's the guy i'm most excited to see probably in the entire pac 12 because it was like michael Pittman was back at usc yes yeah that's actually not bad call he's he's a free oh drake london's the receiver drake oh drake london Drake yep. London. That's who I'm thinking of. Thank you. Yep. Drake London and Drake Jackson's the edge rusher, which reminded me of Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon top five pick. Mm-hmm. And then while we're at USC, Keaton Slovis, who right now is seen as a first round pick, but there's, there's tools. There's also some uh, pocket presence and other things that could knock him down. He's going to be divisive next year. I can already feel it coming. <laughs> Best tight end in the country plays at Colorado state. Trey McBride, just throwing yeah. it out there. Just throwing it out there. Jaden Watermeyer out of AM, another very good tight end, too. This class is going to be really fun. I'm already excited. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is going to be a f- fun class because the preseason, this is going to be the, f- the year where the preseason rankings matter the least. I think we're just sure. going to see such a, you know, last year was so inconclusive. This year, I really think we're going to get a lot more answers. And that's going to be fun, and it's going to make for a wide-open draft class. I can hardly wait to get into it all. Thank we'll you, get to your questions next week, by yes, the way, guys. Yes, we had yeah. a lot of questions, but this podcast has gone on really long. Um, so we will not miss those. Shout out to everybody that added questions in the comments and, and or on Twitter and in all the various places, the Discord. Beautiful. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.